Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse, and I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep. How Pearl Button was kidnapped by Catherine Mansfield. This is first published in a magazine uh, in September 1912. The magazine is called, let's see here, Rhythm. Yes. Um, I'm calling it a magazine, and it is a magazine, but it, it's kind of an, from what I can tell, it's kind of a art, art artsy magazine. There's a lot of illustrations, um, art illustrations, and... Its editors were artists, (laughs) and I guess authors, too. Um, Well, the main editor was John Middleton Murray, Mm -hmm. quite a famous man of letters. And uh, he's assisted by Catherine Mansfield (laughs) um, uh, on the table of contents here. And, in fact, uh, there's another story by Catherine Mansfield in here called Spring in a Dream, which um, I have not read yet, but I'm looking forward to reading. But uh, this story was written by Mansfield, but published under the name Lily Heron the first time, which is kind of interesting as well, because uh, why is she doing that? Why is she, in this book, she's assisting in editing, uh, putting it on, under another name? It's a good question. Um, I can tell you that uh, this is sort of regular th- thing in the 50s editors would often publish uh, multiple stories in their own magazines and usually to uh, I would assume hide this fact they sometimes will use multiple pseudonyms or at least just don't have every story in the whole magazine be by them <laughs> even though that sometimes happened there are, there are issues of of some magazines where every story is by Robert Silverberg which is crazy oh. <laughs> But, of course, um, this, is, this is 40 years before that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's quite a different kind of magazine, too. Um, and I, I think there may have been a social issue behind this as well. I agree. The story uh, is kind of um, interesting in terms of, like, do you want to tell this story? If you do, do you want to be associated, have your name associated? Today, if this was published, uh, you know, there might be a scandal. Um, well, I, well, I was thinking of something quite different, and that is that uh, Lily Heron, a.k.a. Catherine Mansfield, uh, wanted to publish under her own name. She's young at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was born, I think, in 88, so she's only 24 uh, at the time that this is published. Uh, so she's got her name in the table of contents. She's also listed as the assistant. But in 1912, she's also the lover of John Middleton Murray. Mm-hmm. And so in as much as they are functioning within a comparatively small arts community, it may have been thought just a little bit unseemly for Murray to have made sure that Mansfield could be just all over this magazine. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, it is a relatively short poem, just about 10 minutes to read. Um, and it is so important, I think, uh, to have read it that I'm going to ask you to read it for our audience. I've I've uh, read it a couple of times. I've listened to it a couple of times. And every time I hear it, I find um, there's some little thing I didn't quite focus on before that really changes the story quite a lot. I'd, I'd love to. So take notes then, Jesse. Absolutely. I'd, I've got my pen. Pick, pick up those things. Uh, I do need to apologize to you and anybody else with a fine ear for language. Um, Mansfield was a native New Zealander. And 
Um, as becomes apparent, this story, although we're not told where it's set, could well be set in New Zealand. Uh, and I won't tell you more about what you might discover by listening. But if I were a really good narrator, I would be doing this with a New Zealand accent. And uh, I, I can't. So I'm going to revert to my more or less mid-Atlantic American accent. How Pearl Button was kidnapped. Pearl Button swung on the little gate in front of the House of Boxes. It was the early afternoon of a sunshiny day with little winds playing hide-and-seek in it. They blew Pearl Button's pinafore frill into her mouth, and they blew the street dust all over the House of Boxes. Pearl watched it like a cloud. Like when Mother peppered her fish and the top of the pepper pot came off, she swung on the little gate all alone, and she sang a small song. Two big women came walking down the street. One was dressed in red and the other was dressed in yellow and green. They had pink handkerchiefs over their heads and both of them carried a big flax basket of ferns. They had no shoes and stockings on and they came walking along slowly because they were so fat and talking to each other and always smiling. Pearl stopped swinging and when they saw her, they stopped walking. They looked and looked at her. And then they talked to each other, waving their arms and clapping their hands together. Pearl began to laugh. The two women came up to her, keeping close to the hedge and looking in a frightened way towards the house of boxes. Hello, little girl, said one. Pearl said, hello. You all alone by yourself? Pearl nodded. Where's your mother? In the kitchen, ironing because it's Tuesday. The women smiled at her and Pearl smiled back. Oh, she said, haven't you got very white teeth indeed? Do it again. The dark women laughed and again they talked to each other with funny words and wavings of the hands. What's your name? They asked her. Pearl Button. You coming with us, Pearl Button. We got beautiful things to show you, whispered one of the women. So Pearl got down from the gate and she slipped out into the road. And she walked between the two dark women down the windy road, taking little running steps to keep up and wondering what they had in their house of boxes. They walked a long way. You tired? Asked one of the women, bending down to Pearl. Pearl shook her head. They walked much further. You not tired? Asked the other woman. And Pearl shook her head again, but tears shook from her eyes at the same time, and her lips trembled. One of the women gave her flax basket of ferns and caught Pearl Button up in her arms and walked with Pearl Button's head against her shoulder and her dusty little legs dangling. She was softer than a bed and she had a nice smell, a smell that made you bury your head and breathe and breathe it. They set Pearl Button down in a log room full of other people the same color as they were. And all these people came close to her and looked at her nodding and laughing and throwing up their eyes. The woman who had carried Pearl took off her hair ribbon and shook her curls loose. And there was a cry from the other women and they crowded close. And some of them ran a finger through Pearl's yellow curls very gently. And one of them, a young one, lifted all Pearl's hair and kissed the back of her little white neck. Pearl felt very shy, but happy at the same time. There were some men on the floor, smoking with rugs and feather mats round their shoulders. One of them made a funny face at Pearl, and he pulled a great peach out of his pocket and set it on the floor and flicked it with his finger as though it were a marble. It rolled right over to her. Pearl picked it up. 
please, can I eat it, she asked. At that, they all laughed and clapped their hands, and the man with the funny face made another at her and pulled a pear out of his pocket and sent it bobbling over the floor. Pearl laughed. The women sat on the floor, and Pearl sat down, too. The floor was very dusty. She carefully pulled up her pinafore and dress and sat on her petticoat as she had been taught to sit in dusty places. And she ate the fruit, the juice running all down her front. Oh, she said in a very frightened voice to one of the women, I've spilt all the juice. That doesn't matter at all, said the woman, patting her cheek. A man came into the room with a long whip in his hand. He shouted something. They all got up shouting, laughing, wrapping themselves up in rugs and blankets and feather mats. Pearl was carried again, this time into a great cart, and she sat on the lap of one of the, her women with the driver beside her. It was a green cart with a red pony and a black pony. It went very fast out of the town. The driver stood up and waved the whip around his head. Pearl peered over the shoulder of her woman. Other carts were behind like a procession. She waved at them. Then the country came. First fields of short grass with sheep on them and little bushes of white flowers and pink briar rose baskets. Then big trees on both sides of the road and nothing to be seen except big trees. Pearl tried to look through them, but it was quite dark. Birds were singing. She nestled closer in the big lap. The woman was warm as a cat, and she moved up and down when she breathed, just like purring. Pearl played with a green ornament and round her neck, and the woman took the little hand and kissed each of her fingers and then turned it over and kissed the dimples. Pearl had never been happy like this before. On the top of a big hill they stopped. The driving man turned to Pearl and said, look, look, and pointed with his whip. And down at the bottom of the hill was something perfectly different. A great big piece of blue water was creeping over the land. She screamed and clutched at the big woman. What is it? What is it? <laughs> Why, said the woman, it's the sea. Will it hurt us? Is it coming? I know it doesn't come to us. It's very beautiful. You look again. Pearl looked. You're sure it can't come, she said. Aye, no, it stays in its place, said the big woman. Waves with white tops came leaping over the blue. Pearl watched them break on a long piece of land covered with garden path shells. They drove round a corner. There were some little houses close down by the sea with wood fences round them and gardens inside. They comforted her. Pink and red and blue washing hung over the fences, and as they came near, more people came out, and five yellow dogs with long, thin tails. All the people were fat and laughing, with little naked babies holding on to them or rolling about in the gardens like puppies. Pearl was lifted down and taken into a tiny house with only one room and a veranda. There was a girl there with two pieces of black hair down to her feet. She was setting the dinner on the floor. It is a funny place, said Pearl, watching the pretty girl while the women unbuttoned her little drawers for her. She was very hungry. She ate meat and vegetables and fruit, and the woman gave her milk out of a green cup. And it was quite silent, except for the sea outside and the laughs of the two women watching her. Haven't you got any houses in boxes, she said. Don't you all live in a row? Don't the men go to offices? Aren't there any nasty things? They took off her shoes and stockings, her pinafore and dress. She walked about in her petticoat, and then she walked outside with the grass 
pushing between her toes. The two women came out with different sorts of baskets. They took her hands over a little paddock through a fence and then on warm sand with brown grass in it. They went down to the sea. Pearl held back when the sand grew wet, but the women coaxed. Nothing to hurt. Very beautiful. You come. They dug in the sand and found some shells which they threw into the baskets. The sand was wet as mud pies. Pearl forgot her fright and began digging too. She got hot and wet, and suddenly over her feet broke a little line of foam. Ooh, ooh, she shrieked, dabbling with her feet. Lovely, lovely. She paddled in the shallow water. It was warm. She made a cup of her hands and caught some of it, but it stopped being blue in her hands. She was so excited that she rushed over to the woman and flung her little thin arms round the woman's neck, hugging her, kissing. Suddenly the girl gave a frightful scream. The woman raised herself and Pearl slipped down on the sand and looked towards the land. Little men in blue coats, little blue men came running, running towards her with shouts and whistlings, a crowd of little blue men to carry her back to the house of boxes. Good story. <laughs> I mean, I, I fear that there's no good way to talk about this that doesn't start with saying there's a lot of ways to talk about this. <laughs> because in a way, it's a science fiction story. Obviously, it's not a science fiction story in the normal sense. There's very little technological progress. There's very little, um, you know, in the sense of uh, aliens from other planets. On the other hand, um, good science fiction could... My eyes are tearing up because good science fiction would hope to do something like this, which is basically make you question everything. And make you say, well, wait a second here. Um, that title does a whole lot of work in framing the story. Um, I, I think it primes you for what, to, what, what you're going to see. And then looking back at the title after you get that ending, you get a whole other interpretation possible. But if, even if we didn't have the title... Mansfield is she's just amazing at doing this stream of consciousness perception shift thing um and here because the the viewpoint almost it's not quite the viewpoint but the the closeness to the viewpoint of Pearl Button is so associated with basically being new on this earth and new and alive and and having very little experience with everything that it's 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 almost magic because she's really basically making me think of when I was young and that age and the things that I experienced at that age uh, she's ma she's magically captured it in words it's a strange time in Pearl Button's life and Pearl Button I think represents a kind of transition. She's grown up thinking that houses of boxes all in a row are the norm. Mm -hmm. 
And she knows she's supposed to stay there. I mean, one way to read this would be to say it's set in New Zealand and the two dark women who come by are Maoris. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yet, although she is not very far from the sea, she's never seen the sea. And so in a way, she's being confined to the, the white people's life in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we first see her, she's swinging on the gate. Mm-hmm. Okay, so she is on the part of the fence that allows transition from the world of the House of Boxes to the rest of the world. And she is on there just going back and forth. Mm-hmm. She's not leaving the, land, the grounds on her own, but along come two happy women, mm-hmm. and she goes with them. In one way, this transition, um, it gets seen again. Uh, we see the transition when she takes off or has removed for her her clothing. Mm-hmm. She takes off some of her clothing because she's been trained to do that. That is, she doesn't take it off. She, she flips it up so that she'll sit on an inner piece of garment that won't be visible when she gets up and walks. But the, the black women then take more of her clothing off, mm-hmm. the brown women. So Pearl is on the gate. They come along and help her leave the grounds. She flips up some of her clothing. They take off more of her clothing. They bring her in sight of the, the sea. The sea then comes and laps her feet. Mm-hmm. Now she's not just being urged by someone else. She's being urged by the whole world. Mm-hmm. It's at that point that we get the contrast between the blue of the water, which isn't blue when it's in her hands, and the little blue men mm-hmm. who want to take her back to the house of boxes. It's, it's so much about transition and the attraction of breaking out of either the natural state that we think we're in or the social state that we've been put into. So when you said that Mansfield has captured the feeling that you had when you were that age, I don't think that you were swinging on the gate and I'm guessing you didn't have two fat women come by and bring you to the sea. Um, You might be wrong about that, but keep going. (laughs) I I might be. I might be. Um, But... um, but I, I know there are First Nations people in your family, mm-hmm. uh, but I think this this wide-eyed look of a world of two different places, um, and you go from one to the other, uh, that's something that we understand. Mm-hmm. In fact, one of the ways to read this story is as an inversion of Little Red Riding Hood. Hmm. Right. I mean, she's been her mother clearly has told her not to go out. Don't go beyond the property. Right. But she's swinging on the gate and along come these happy ladies and she goes with them. Right. They, they brought the forest with her, the, with them. They've got this box, these boxes of ferns. Right. She goes with them. The man who leads is a man with a whip. And mm-hmm. uh, but in fact, this man with a whip points the way. Mm-hmm. It's just like the hunter comes and saves Little Red Riding Hood. In Little Red Riding Hood, the the happy outcome is that the little girl, having been sexualized somewhat, um, goes back to her mother. In different versions, she goes back permanently or temporarily, but, but she goes back to her mother, back to the world of the village. 
out of the forest. In this, I think that Mansfield gets us to feel, what a shame, those little blue men. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the police, I and mean, that's the shouts and the whistles. That's what it, it's got to be, right? Exactly. And they're little because they're so far away, but they're also little metaphorically. So it's the, it's the, the Maori with the whip who could at first be thought of as a danger, like mm-hmm. the wolf. Yep, that's how we, we, he, he's suddenly threatening where everything else was welcoming, and yet the whip is not for her. Exactly. So you see what I mean, that this could be looked at as sort of an inversion of yep, little... Yeah, I do. Good, where we come down sympathetically on Red being able to live and prosper in the world of the forest, mm-hmm. the world of the sea. Um, so it, it becomes a critique of that, the, the house of boxes. It's a massive critique. And, um, uh, that house of boxes, uh, Mansfield's, uh, it's, it's amazing how much she does with so few tools. So the, the size thing, there's the, the, it's the little gate and the, you know, uh, the little men. And there's the giant, the the big C and the big women, and um, then we have the the color. Color is so important here for her. Everything is colorful as soon as she's with these women. They show up; they're colorful, right? Yes. And one is dressed in yellow, and the other uh, yellow and green, and the other is dressed in red. And they're they're not carrying boxes. They're carrying baskets, right? I beg your pardon. Just like Little Red Riding Hood. Very much like that. And um, and then it's it's not just color, although color is so dominant in everything. There's also the dust, right, which is in contrast to it, which is everywhere. Um, But uh, lines like, she was softer than a bed and she had a nice smell. A smell that made you bury your head and breathe it and breathe it. And and then it's dot, dot, dot. Uh, uh, I don't know when this is, uh, what span of time this is, but she eats several meals yes. and she things get dark. Um, they travel a long way. She walks a long way. I mean, that could be two blocks or three blocks. But they leave the city and they leave the country and they go to the sea, and they uh, those lines that when she's she says, "Will it hurt us? Is it coming?" No, it's it's it, she's afraid, right? And she's shy in the story, and then she says, you know, sort of when she's fully into this world where she quote unquote been kidnapped into. Um, she says, haven't you got any houses in boxes? And then that makes me think back to the beginning where her mother is in the house and because it's Tuesday, she's ironing. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, she's just spilled, you know, juice all over her shirt and she cares because her mom has obviously told her, don't get your clothes all mussed up. And what do the people here say? They say, don't worry. And they laugh because it's not important. He says, don't you all live in a row? Don't the men go to offices? Aren't there any nasty things? Right. Right? Uh, has she been kidnapped or has she been rescued? <laughs> That's, well, I think, a real, real question. And the thing is, is 
obviously, you know, there was a law broken. You can't do that to children under the law of New Zealand in 1912. It's illegal. Does that mean it was wrong? I would say it's pretty mean to take your the daughter away from a mother. On the other hand, who's living better? Who's happier? Which life has nasty things in it? There is a way to go um, to straddle the uh, the social commentary and the fairy tale, which both uh, give us the sense of um, contrasting domains, um, the and contrasting mothers, right? the uh, the basket of ferns that's the natural being brought to people's use, the ironing because it's Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Um, is the following rules to make things smooth, flat, rectilinear. Mm-hmm. There's, right? uh, there's the fractal nature uh, of the Maori and the rectilinear nature of the English. But the Maori, even if they have kidnapped her, I don't think we have any sense that they intend to keep her and you know harm her. Um, they're just they're playing with her. They're enjoying her and they're learning from her. They want to see yellow hair. And a young one comes over and kisses her neck mm-hmm. and, and she likes it. Um, so I would put to you that somehow or other, someone thought, and I hope it is the parents of the protagonist, to name this girl Pearl. It's where she belongs. It is where she belongs. But think of what a pearl button is. A pearl button usually is white. A pearl button is something that fits from one thing to another and holds them together. She is the innocent linchpin that makes possible or should make possible the mutual appreciation of the English and the Maori world. But instead of that happening, the little blue men come whistling and screaming mm-hmm. uh, or shouting. Um, how much better we all would be if in growing up we could retain the youngness about us, it seems to me that the story is uh, is suggesting that pretty strongly. And I can't help but remember that there is a kid in Kidnapped. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, uh, the pearl, it comes from oysters, right? Yeah. Um, and and I, I just think about what her mom is doing inside the house. She's ironing because shirts need to be ironed and dresses need to be ironed because if they're not ironed then people will say that they're not an upright and good family or something like that and the husband needs to have a nice flattened shirt for his work in the office which he leaves to and there's lots of nasty things that go along with it meanwhile pearl is out in the yard straddling the place where she's not supposed to go and the place where she's supposed to stay in the dust, you know, just experiencing reality. Yes. And then she's taken, um, but it's not taken exactly. She goes with, right? She's seduced in a certain sense. And the place she goes to is a beach where she is digging in the earth, in the sand and digging up food and learning the ways, not like she's in there, you know, ironing 
which right. is something that nobody loves to do. I mean, you might enjoy it if you don't have to because it's therapeutic or something. But it's not something that you do naturally because it's yummy, right? It's not, not something you do naturally because you're with your, your people and you're having fun. It's something that needs to be done. Yeah. And if her name was not Pearl, if it was something else, the story would have the same resonance. But it just it it's kind of the contrast between that initial reading of the title, how Pearl Button was kidnapped. Not that Pearl Button was kidnapped. This isn't a horror story, exactly. Right. But it shows how somehow we've got it all wrong. We've misunderstood. And to me, it's so interesting. And the first time I read it, I was so much with Pearl that I didn't notice all the all the people she's with. The man with the funny face. Um, I'm picturing him now. He's he's got facial tattoos. Right. Um, he may he may pull a face as well, um, and I think he did. And then the women, um, they talk in Maori to each other. She doesn't understand that. She doesn't know that it's called that. She just doesn't understand what they're saying. And what are they discussing? They think, should we take her with us? They didn't plan this. They didn't. This isn't a for ransom situation. They see a kid who's kind of being neglected and, more importantly, not having a flourishing life. And, right. And, yeah, it's, it, it's, a, it's illegal, but who makes the laws? It's right. not the Maori. Not in this that situation. same issue of law comes up with another very firm, famous pearl. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the, the House of the, the Scarlet Letter. Mm-hmm. Um, comes to my mind every time I see the name Pearl, because it's comparatively rare in literature, despite the biblical reference to Pearl of Great Price. Um, in in the Scarlet Letter, Pearl is the offspring of the, the love, she is the love child, if you look at it positively, she's the bastard, if you look at it negatively, of the heroine, Hester Prynne, and her lover, um, who is himself, it turns out, uh, a minister, should never have been involved in adultery. Mm-hmm. But Pearl is so wonderful and so pure that she somehow demonstrates the happy consequence of people getting together because of love rather than the rules of society. Uh, in my own memory of the book, I see Pearl again and again looking down at herself in the river mm-hmm. uh, and the time passing as she grows into a certain young young youngster um, up to womanhood. Here, you remind me that the crucial final scene is on the beach. And as I've mentioned to you before, years ago, I noticed that when a beach is the central locale of a story, it's a place where elementally conflicting forces are clashing. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what's going on here. It is the natural world behind her with the blue water and the unnatural world of the men coming toward her. And when she picks up the water facing and faces the men, the blue of the water disappears. Mm-hmm. The blue of the men stay. The fact that even the settings have deep symbolic and literary references show, as you said, Jesse, how much Mansfield gets done using so few or at least so simple 
tools. I'm glad you liked reading it over again. Mm -hmm. Not just my reading it, but in your multiple readings, because this obviously is a story about which there is always more to say. Thanks very much for listening. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for Reading Short and Deep. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sffaudio.com.